Good morning, everyone. I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 21, verse 9 to 22. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Um, is this loud enough, Libby? Can you hear up the back? Cool. Um, if you saw Steve Young running around before playing with the phone that's recording to YouTube, here's the funny story. YouTube was feeding upside down. So he tried fixing it, and now it's broken. <laughs> so if anyone's texting you saying, what's happening, what's happening? Tell them, we'll load it later, it's okay. Um, and it's just one of the privileges of being here in person, I guess. Uh, let's put all those things out of our mind and pray um, that we'd understand this part of the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can look at Revelation. Lord, please speak to our hearts. Please help us to see Jesus clearly as he's revealed to us in this book, we pray. Amen. When you lose your first tooth, it can be a painful process. Um, kids handle it in different ways. Some kids, it can be a very painful process. But on the bright side, after you've lost your tooth, the tooth fairy comes and you get money. So it's something to look forward to when the next tooth comes. It's one of those milestones in life, isn't it? You'll never be the same again. Nothing will ever be the same in your mouth ever again. Finishing primary school, that's another milestone, isn't it? One that you look forward to, you count down the weeks and then the days, you have this big celebration at the end, you look forward to it, but then when you hit high school, 
there's so much to miss about primary school. But it's another milestone that we all go through. Then there's finishing high school, another huge milestone. And as the final exams and assessments pile up, you can't wait for the end. And we look forward to the independence that comes with finishing school and the way it kind of just opens up life in front of you. Huge milestone. And then there's more milestones. There's the first job. There's moving out of home. Maybe getting married, possibly having kids, and possibly your child losing their first tooth. So many milestones to look forward to and to live for in the hope of the day that they'll arrive, but each of those comes with challenges as well and painful transitions. Today we get to look at the most significant milestone of all, not just for us but for everybody, the return of Jesus, an event that impacts on every single person in the world and everyone who's ever lived We're looking at the last two chapters of the New Testament book of Revelation and the Apostle John records this final scene of his vision, um, this vision that he he saw 2,000 years ago on the island of Patmos. And as he records it, we get a look at what heaven will be like, the new creation. Um, On the island of Patmos, we get this look look at um, the fulfillment of every hope we're ever led to have, God making everything new And John wants us to cry with him, come, Lord Jesus. Come soon, Lord Jesus. But of course, with all that good comes the reality of final judgment that we saw last week in the previous scene in Revelation. And while John closes with, come, Lord Jesus, he also records some serious warnings for us to pay attention to. So today, there's three things I thought we'd do. Firstly is the kind of the the refresher, the Revelation recap, just a quick skim over the top of Revelation, and then secondly, the flyover of this final scene, touching down in a couple of points to look around, and then thirdly, to consider those warnings that we find at the end of Revelation. So firstly, the recap. The end of the book of Revelation reminds us that this New Testament book was originally written as a letter. So if you look at 22, verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony to the churches. This is a letter that the Apostle John is writing down to be sent to churches. In our first week, we looked at chapter 1 and we saw this is a letter. It's also a prophecy and it's a record of a vision. And it's all about Jesus. So just this is our um, skim over the top of Revelation. Just come back to chapter 1. The first verse, chapter 1, verse 1, it opens with, the revelation of or the revelation from Jesus Christ. And the Greek for revelation is that word apocalypsis, the unveiling, the revealing. As you come to Revelation, what you're going to see is the revealing of Jesus Christ, Jesus the King. That's what we're seeing. Verse 3 says it's not just um, a letter. This is also a prophecy. So verse 3 said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And when we think prophecy, we're very quick to think prediction, but think instead of the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets, their role was to bring the word of God, to speak the word of God and to call people back to God. This, is, this revelation is a prophecy, God's word, calling people back to the Lord Jesus. And then the next verse, verse 4, you get this, um, the, 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 you see the fact that it is a letter. So verse 4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, what we would think of as Turkey, 
this letter is to be written and circulated among those churches. If you look down at 1 verse 9, you get a little bit of an inkling at the author and the recipients. 1 verse 9 says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that arouse in Jesus. So we're reading this letter from John to his fellow Christians. They're part of the kingdom of God even now as he writes, but they're waiting for their king, Jesus, to return. And while they wait, they're patiently enduring. So Revelation is a letter, a prophecy. It's also a vision. So 1 verse 10, on, that, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard a voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he writes what he sees, this vision that has multiple scenes across it. As John writes down this vision, we end up with an apocalyptic piece of writing, an apocalyptic genre full of signs and symbols. And along the way, you would have seen it is packed full of the Old Testament, bringing all the Old Testament images and ideas and promises together in one massive vision. Then you come to chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3 have little messages to each of the seven churches that get addressed. And I said when we came to that chapter, those chapters, that this is an important part of Revelation. It gives us the window through which to read everything. It gives us a way of working out how this applies to us because each of those messages to each of the churches has application. And it lets you see, ah, this is how it hits home. And so we read the, the rest of Revelation through those little messages to each of the churches. And each of those messages to each of the churches has the same pattern. They get told you're doing well at this, but what about this? And at the end of each, they finish in the same way. Have a look at the first one, the, the message to the Ephesians. In chapter 2, verse 7, it ends with, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That repeats at the end of each of the messages. Anyone who has ears to hear, listen to the message to these churches. And then after the invitation to hear, hope is held out. So it goes on in chapter 2, verse 7, the one who is vic To the one who is victorious, I will give... And that repeats each time too. To the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, some translations say. To the one who conquers, other translations say. To the one who is victorious, I will give. And it goes on um, saying the way, as you read on into Revelation, you see the way that you are victorious, the way that you do overcome is by continuing to trust in Jesus, by holding firm with your faith in Jesus and by continuing to bear witness to him. And each of these messages gives a bit of hope. So this one, to the Ephesians, as you keep reading, to the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And you'll see that in today's passage, this tree of life near the river running through the city. In today's passage, at the end of Revelation, each bit of hope that is held out for each of the churches gets expanded and unpacked for us. Uh, the same pattern repeats for Smyrna, for Pergamon, for Thyatira, for Sardis and so on. But look at what it says to Philadelphia. So 3 verse 11, I'm coming soon. 3 verse 12, look at the one who is victorious. Um, look at the one who is victorious. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I'll write, at the, I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. That's what we get to see in the end of Revelation, this new city, this new Jerusalem. So the seven messages to each of the churches in chapters 2 to 3 hold out hope, reason to persevere, reason to keep persevering. Back in chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And so as we read through Revelation, 
we're reminded again of everything that God's promised to those who conquer. Um, Jesus is sending a messenger, I'm coming soon, hang on. I'll be here soon. Hang on and you won't miss out. Multiple times you see that in the last chapter. 22 verse 7, look, I'm coming soon. 22 verse 12, look, I'm coming soon. 22 verse 20, yes, I'm coming soon. And John signs off, come, Lord Jesus. The book of Revelation, it's a real letter written to seven churches in Asia, an open letter for anyone who has ears to hear. It's written to us as Christians, living in the overlap of the ages, telling us to hang on as we wait for Jesus' return. Um, as John recounts this vision which he saw on the island of Patmos, he describes the period of time we're living in now, waiting for Jesus to return. He's come, he's died, he's risen, conquered sin and death, and we're waiting for him to return. Um, it's, an, it's a world where the new age has begun to come in. God's kingdom has begun to arrive. Um, and we're looking forward to the day of the Lord. In, in the Old Testament, this day of the Lord when it talks about the day of the Lord coming, it just sounds like a day, a single day. You come to the New Testament, you realize it's a period of time. And then you come to Revelation and it blurs everything because it uses the Old Testament language to describe this period of time, which is a day, but it's a period of time. It's a little bit confusing. So we've recapped chapter 1, chapters 2 and 3. In chapters 4 and 5, you meet uh, John gets invited into the control room of the universe. And I don't know if... Um, as you drive to Mount Omni from here, I don't know if you've noticed them, but there's cameras, traffic cameras. One day I tried to count them. I came up with five, maybe six, depending on... I couldn't find seven, unfortunately, which would have helped for Revelation. But they're poles with, with cameras on them which feed the traffic flow back to the control room somewhere. Six different angles on the traffic flow. You can see what's happening on the bridge. You can see what's happening near the shops. You can see what's happening... Revelation is a bit like that. We get these camera angles on this period of time while we wait for Jesus' return, different looks, but they all keep feeding back into this control room of the universe in chapters 4 and 5, the throne room of God. And then in chapters 6 to 7, we see Jesus, the lamb who was slain, opening seals. And as he opens each seal, waves of tyranny and terror roll across the earth. And as he comes to the last couple, we see that actually Jesus is victorious over all that. And those who overcome, those who triumph, will be around Jesus, praising him forever in heaven. And then you come to the seven trumpets. We see that Jesus is victorious over chaos and destruction. And then in chapters 12 to 14, um, John shows us Satan as a, as a dragon. And then you see this beast coming out of the sea and a beast on the earth, a false prophet. Um, there's this great war that Jesus wins. Um, but while we wait for that great finish, this, these battles go on for a little while. It's a way of describing the world we're in where we suffer, we wait, but it will all end. Jesus will be victorious. And then in chapters 15 to 16, you see seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out. It's like this starting to look at what final judgment might be like. These mini visions, all within this large vision, um, John sees the different camera angles each time. Yeah, there's difficulty in this world, but God has it in control. Jesus is victorious, and each time you come back to the control room, seeing everyone singing praises to Jesus. Um, as you keep um, putting it all together, it's like these, these layers or camera angles 
these layers of ways of thinking about the world we live in and these glimmers of hope of what will happen when Jesus returns. Last week, um, the scene we looked at described final judgment or the final battle. Um, And now in the end of Revelation, we get to see what happens after that, what Jesus' kingdom will be like. So that's our kind of Revelation recap. Very quick, I know, but hopefully it helps you hold it in your head. As you fly over this um, final scene, 21 verses 1 to 8 is the end of last week's scene. 21 verses 1 to 8, it's a mini vision that gives you the preview of what you see in chapters, the rest of chapter 21 and 22. A summary or a preview. Um, and the summary of the preview is there in verse 5, 21 verse 5. I'm making everything new. So the previous chapter, chapter 20, closes with this, this picture of eternal judgment. Um, a lake of fire. The second death is the way it describes it. And then 21 opens with the new heaven and the new earth. God is making everything new. That's what we have to look forward to. The last scene in John's vision opens with another <clears throat> invitation to come in 21 verse 9, to, asking John to come. So 21 verse 9 goes, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues, seven bowls of wrath, there's continuity there, came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so then in verse 10, 21 verse 10, the angel or the messenger takes John to a mountain while he's in the spirit. And then he sees the bride as a city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, presented to Jesus, the lamb. The people of God built into this perfect city. And then John's given a guided tour of the city. Um, The tour of the city takes you right through to verse 21. And then in verse 22, we see... God's sanctuary in this city. But you don't, because there isn't a temple in this new Jerusalem. It doesn't need to be. And then chapter 22, we see God's garden around a river flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And that ends the tour of the city and the garden. In 22 verse 6, everything starts to wrap up. and We're told three times Jesus is coming in verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. So that's the flyover of this final scene in Revelation. Come back to the preview, the end of the last scene, 21, 1 to 8, where we're told God is making everything new. So 21 verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And down in verse 5, He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Most of Revelation describes this overlap of the ages, but here at the end we're looking at the end. We're looking at what we have to look forward to. It's holding out hope for us. Jesus will begin to rule. His kingdom will come. Everything will be made new. Um, The old age continues on for now, but the final scene focuses in on the new. The key feature of this new creation is there in verse 3, 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will live with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. All the way through the pages of the Bible, you've had these glimpses of God being with his people. So in the Garden of Eden, he makes Adam and Eve. He's there with them in the garden until sin comes along. Then Israel in the desert, God dwelt with them in a tabernacle. God with his people. This sign that God is with his people, fire and and smoke over the tabernacle. Then finally in the New Testament, Jesus sends his spirit. But here in the end of Revelation, what we see is God with his people. It's like the Garden of Eden, remade, only better. God's making everything new. God will dwell with his people. He'll be there with us. 
And that's the truth. It sits behind the rest of these two chapters. Um, there's more in this preview. If you look at verse 6 to 8, you get this look at the final division of people. So on the one hand, there's those that overcome, those who are victorious. That's those that faithfully hang on to the gospel of Jesus. And on the other hand, well, there's everybody else. So verse 6, one final invitation. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I'll give, to drink, I'll give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. You see that invitation echoed in 22 verse 17. Free life, water that gives eternal life. And then the final division in verse 7, 21 verse 7. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I'll be their God and they'll be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I don't think you can put it more starkly, this final division. There's no undoing it now. You can't come back from that fiery lake. There's no rescue mission sent out onto the lake. It's a preview of this last scene of Revelation, God making everything new in the wake of complete judgment of chapter 20. We're looking at the end of the overlap, the consummation of the kingdom of God, the final division between those who are gods and those who are not, those who accept the invitation and those who don't. And then this final scene, it opens in 21 verse 9, the fulfillment of every hope that you're led to expect, not just in Revelation, but in the whole Bible. The thing I want to show you in this part is the way these expectations fulfill Old Testament uh, prophecies. So this section, it's like a cut and paste from the Old Testament. Um, First, look at the city of God. So uh, chapter 21, verses 10 through to 21, this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. It shines with the glory of God. It's amazing. Um, It's described in verse 11 in terms of precious stones with names that are tricky to pronounce, I think except for beryl in there, very Australian. Um, In verse 12, 12, there's 12 gates, and on the gates are the names of the 12 tribes. And verse 14, the foundations of the wall have the names of the 12 apostles written on them. It's like this city is founded on God's people's faithful service and faithful testimony, just like uh, back in chapter 20, verse 8, the bride wearing the righteous deeds of the saints. It's like the city is built on that foundation. And you compare this picture in Revelation, though, with these verses from Ezekiel. So if I read this and you've got Revelation in front of you, Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 30, these will, um, these will be the exits of the city, beginning on the north side, which is 4,500 cubits long. The gates of the city will be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates on the north side will be the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, the gate of Levi. The gates on the east, which is 4,500 cubits long, will be three gates, gates of Joseph, gates of... and on it goes. It's like you come to Revelation, it's just echoing what we saw back in Ezekiel in the Old Testament. A reminder that God is faithful, he's keeping his words. This picture of the New Testament creation in chapter 21 it brings in all the expectations from the Old Testament. And as we read Revelation chapter 21, verse 15, the angel gets out a measuring rod and starts to demonstrate to John just how huge this city is, this new Jerusalem. And as you read, you notice again the precious stones that describe the city. It's just what Ezekiel saw, what he had called to mind. Um, 
but it's not just Ezekiel, it's also Isaiah the prophet. So if you look at Isaiah 54, O afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires, I'll make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and your walls of precious stones. This new Jerusalem, as John describes it, as he writes what he's seeing, it's the Old Testament fulfilled. I don't know, there's these different pictures, these different descriptions, and it makes you, makes you realize, yes, it is just an image. When you actually are there, it might be something other, but this is how it's described to us, using the Old Testament promises. The reason I'm showing you all these Old Testament quotes, and there's more I could show you, is just to help you to appreciate this is the fulfillment of everything God's ever promised, to help us understand that God is faithful to his promises. Moving deeper into this tour of the city, we come back to the temple. Uh, we come to, back to the lack of the temple. So the old Jerusalem, the original Jerusalem, had a temple in it. Everything was built around the temple, symbolic of the fact that God is among them. Um, but in Revelation 21 verse 22, we're told that Jerusalem doesn't have a temple. It doesn't need to because God's always there. Echoes of 21 verse 3, the preview. And God's glory shines out of this city. So 22 verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun, the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. It's this picture of um, this, the earthly Jerusalem. It was a pale reflection of this new city. This is a picture of the perfect city of God. And then compare that picture again with Isaiah 60. The sun will go, not go, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. The new Jerusalem, it's like fully in the light, no darkness. And I'll leave you, um, as you come to the next little bit, uh, you see God's garden, God's river in 21 verses 1 to 5. I'll leave you to chase up Genesis and Ezekiel 47. Um, and we'll jump ahead to 22 verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp and the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they'll reign with him forever. You see the echoes of this idea of God being with his people. This is the fulfillment of every hope God has ever given us to hang on to. This is everything being made new, the new creation, the fulfillment of Old Testament hope and expectation. It's the rule of the Lamb. It's the rule of the lion, the king. It's his city. And as you read through Revelation, we see these apocalyptic visions describing the days that we're living in and giving glimpses of the end. We've seen the waves of God's judgment wreaking havoc. We've seen um, the end, the perfect heaven and earth, everything new. So what do you make? What do you do with this part of the Bible? Lyra, let's remember this is written for churches, written for Christians. It says back in the chapter one, um, chapter 2 and 3, anyone who has ears, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, the one who overcomes, 
you'll receive all this. This is our hope. This is what we live for as Christians. And so what do we do with it? Well, it encourages us to keep persevering, to be the ones who overcome by trusting in Jesus to the end. Um, so we're, not, we're reminded three times in chapter 22 that Jesus is coming, that he will return, that he's coming soon. The one last thing to draw um, your attention to is those warnings. So the first warning is one that just sits there all the way through Revelation. It's the warning not to miss out. To make sure that you are, you do have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. To make sure that you have repented, that you're living for Jesus, the one seated on the throne. That's the first warning. And you see it as the people are, the last division happens. The second warning is not to worship angels. So if you look back at 22 verse 8, it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who'd shown them to me. An angel in Greek, it's just a messenger. John, he sees these amazing visions and he falls down to worship the messenger. And of course, he's told, don't do that in verse 9. The angel says, worship God. And if you think that sounds very familiar, yeah, this is exactly the same thing that John did back in chapter 19, around verse 10. Exactly the same thing. He talks about the word of God, and then he worships the angel and gets told, don't do that. I'm thinking, why is this here? Well, maybe we're being told not to do the same thing, not to fall into the same trap of worshipping the messenger, or perhaps of maybe worshipping the genre I mean, Revelation is an amazing part of the Bible. You could spend your whole life playing around in there. Don't forget what it's showing you. It's showing you Jesus. Don't get distracted. First warning, don't miss out. Second warning, don't worship angels. There's a third warning, don't mess with the message. So in chapter 22, verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy in this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life um, and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. There's the warning in this vision not to tamper with the vision. People assume this is talking about the whole Bible. Just bear in mind, this is in Revelation. And the way the punishment that it describes and the reward it describes, it's all within the vision. But the warning's the same for any part of God's word. Don't add to it. Don't play with it. Don't subtract from it. Don't distort it. So the first warning, um, don't miss out. Second warning, don't worship the messenger. Third warning, don't tamper with the message. Don't play with God's word and, and tamper with it. The final warning back in chapter 22, verse 10, don't seal this up. So 22, verse 10, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. There's nothing to seal up here. Let people know who Jesus is. Make it known. There's so many milestones to look forward to in life, but the return of Jesus is the biggest milestone ever. So let's make sure that we're ready for when Jesus returns. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Um, Thank you for the way that Revelation shows us Jesus as King. Lord, please, would you help each one of us to be ready for Jesus to return? We ask that our trust would be in him. We pray that our confidence would be in Jesus' death in our place. And Lord, we pray that you'd continue to soften our hearts and correct us and change us as we seek to live for him. We pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.